Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Wendy Cole joins the podcast this week, and Wendy is an incredibly inspiring woman who transitioned at the age of 67 and now works as a transition mentor. In other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all of their products, and see which ones might work best for you and your wellness needs. Then at checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 205 with Wendy Cole. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Wendy, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Aaron. I'm so glad to meet you and be here. Yeah, me as well. And before we dive into your incredibly uh, inspiring story, I have one very important question to ask you, and that is, how are you doing? Like, actually, how are you doing? I'm actually doing quite well. Uh, I'm in a really good place and in a really good situation mm. and feeling good. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't always that way, uh, for no, you, was it? it? Wasn't. Yeah. Tell I me spent, a little bit about that. Yeah. I spent, uh, uh, well, I knew something was different at a very young age, um, before age five. And when I told my parents that I was a girl at age 10, I wound up going into uh, a, a long life of repressing, um, trying to fit in. I, at age 10, I was told, if you don't stop uh, uh, saying that you're a girl, um, you're going to uh, be committed and fixed. And in the late 1950s, early 60s, that was scary. I had no idea what that meant, but it, uh, that's how I lived the next basically six decades of my life. Hiding. Mm -hmm. um, fear, shame, um, guilt for having felt uh, this way, guilt for um, uh, just being me. <laughs> and so my male representative went on and tried to check all the boxes to be quote unquote normal and fit into society. Mm. Um, I had various periods of my life where I tried to deal with this. 1970, I tried to transition and that didn't go well either. That was when I discovered that According to the um, medical society, the psychiatrists, my psychiatrist, uh, who was the last doctor I ever talked to about this until 2015, um, he told me uh, he wanted to take me to a, a group of psychiatrists. They met every quarter. And I'm sitting in this room talking with these people. And... 
I got about five minutes into it, and uh, one of the doctors stands up, uh, says, I'll see you all next quarter. I'm leaving now, and uh, turns and looks at me and goes, you're a freak. Uh, you should move to New York City and turn tricks like the rest of them. That just crushed me right there. Um, for the um, next... Uh, for the rest of that century and until 2015, I never, ever talked to any other therapist or doctor about this. And it wasn't until uh, 20, late 2014, I was on the verge of killing myself. I, I was so tired of repressing who I am, what I am. It turns out I decided, well, instead, let's go and look online before I do anything. I had everything all set up to go. Before I uh, do anything, let's look one last time. I got into Google. I looked and I found that what I was told in 1970 was a psychological condition with no treatment and no cure. Now it was considered a condition that you're born with. It's a, a medical condition, if you will. I was born this way. It's now treatable with therapy, hormone therapy, and any necessary surgeries. And I was, wow. I was, it was, it was like everything just changed for me right then and there. I forgot all about killing myself. I wound up uh, uh, leaving my basement office where I was looking into this and going upstairs and telling my wife at the time, remember what we discussed in 1978? Because I did come out to her after four years of marriage that, this was how I felt. And she agreed that we should stay together as long as I didn't do anything about it. So I continued to repress. Well, in 2015, um, I decided I'm going to see a therapist. I told her that I was going to start therapy, and I did. And I had a really great therapist. And that was the beginning I spent the first six months of 2015 just working on me, um, getting shifting my beliefs. Um, our beliefs are formed by our um, emotions and our thoughts. And I had been repressing everything about me. And I had a total belief that there was no way I could actually be me. I had to shift that. And I did. Um, I got into mindfulness, meditations, uh, law of attraction. Uh, my therapist and I worked together very closely. And it was a wonderful experience. Within six months, I went from being afraid, convinced that I couldn't do this, convinced that, you know, nothing was going to work out to the point where I just 
knew it was the right thing for me to do. Uh, no longer afraid. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to take that leap of faith and just do it. Mm. And that kind of became my mantra for everything. Just do it. <laughs> Beautiful. It, and the, it was largely a lot of energy work. Uh, shifting my beliefs, shifting my thoughts, blocking the thoughts that I had that were not supportive, that were detrimental to me, and substituting them for thoughts that were affirming, supportive, and just being authentically me. And I found that I could be out in public, that no one particularly paid any attention to me. We all have our own things going on in our lives. And I learned a lot from this about life and living and uh, who I am. And yeah. I basically accomplished the... I. I did cross-dress in my early years, and I did cross-dress for a little bit after I told my uh, wife about this in 1978. She told me that it would be okay, but I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't do anything. I had to hide. I hated it. Mm. <laughs> um, so that was basically, uh, uh, I stopped doing it. I just couldn't do it. It was a reminder of who I was and, you know, what I couldn't be at the time. Mm. Now I have friends. I'm open with them. And um, life has been basically great. The last eight years have been the happiest time of my life by far. Yeah. Well, it's it's – there's no – greater weight to carry than showing up as someone other than yourself, especially oh. when you're not allowed to, right? There's, there's mm -hmm. a difference between like me going to high school, just trying to like fit in with the other guys. Like I'm not showing mm -hmm. up authentically. Yes. It's going to make me energetically a little exhausted, but it's a, it's a choice that I'm making. Like, I just want to fit in. I want to belong. Right. You, on the other hand, you had to. You like were forced to. There was no other mm -hmm. option, and so that weight is this like unbearable, especially to basically hold that for for close to sixty years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my question would be, how did you endure? How did you keep going? Uh, I know it reached a point where it got really dark, and we can touch on that as well, because as you know, I have a very personal relationship with that, mm -hmm. but. For, for the, you know, 55, 56, 57 years leading up to that, you just endured. You endured, uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, some really fucking terrible circumstances. Exactly. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, I can say is I had a lot of distractions. Hmm. Um. In the early 70s, I got very interested in computers. And at the time, it was computer technology. So I immersed myself in that. While I was doing that, while I was going to school for that, while I was working in that uh, field, 
I could immerse myself into that and it helped forget about this, at least for that moment. Mm. Um, it never goes away. Wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, it's there. In between distractions. Um, I, I did everything I could to, you know, I had always been told, well, if you have a career, you have a wife, you have a family, you have a house, you'll forget all about this. And at, I just got to a point where I had to try it because nothing else was working, especially after my 1970 experience. Mm -hmm. And so I started my career in 1974 in computers. I got married. I had a family and it didn't work. That's when I told my wife. I found out later that, you know, she had her reasons for just, you know, as long as I didn't do anything about it, we would stay together. And we did. I, I've gotten to a point where I'm grateful for what I call my male representative representative or my male facade for not killing me at the time. And he didn't make me a drug addict. The worst I did was I kind of smoked pot through the through the eighties. <laughs> a lot of everyone else medicating. <laughs> uh, the occasional beers and stuff, but um, I didn't get I didn't fall into alcoholism like a lot of people do. I didn't uh, get into anything heavier than pot, and that was pretty much through the eighties. And then I got, uh, I was, the company that I was working for laid me off. And that's in the early 90s. And that's when I decided to reinvent myself. I immersed myself again in something that would just take my mind off of this. And also uh, provide, my, provide me with actually a very good living. I uh, became a contract uh, developer and programmer. So 12 hours a day sitting in front of a computer terminal, most of the time at home. I worked mm. from home most of the time before it was fashionable to do so because I was contract. And uh, I could just, I had all my equipment set up and everything. I could simulate my customer's world. I did programs and uh, things for corporations that they used globally. And that was a huge distraction and kept my mind off of this at least the majority of the day. And then for my other things to distract me were uh, cabinet making and finished carpentry. And I got really good at that. And I had my own workshop and everything. And I always been interested in music. I can't play an instrument, but <laughs> I love listening to music. That was fun. 
Sure. I'm right so, there with you. Yeah. Um, I'm a long time deadhead. <laughs> um, oh, you are? So is my dad. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I fell in love with them in 1964, the same uh, time I discovered Bob Dylan and Jefferson Airplane. I discovered the Grateful Dead. <laughs> so, yeah, the, I, I, I had I had distractions, but most of the 90s, all through the uh, uh, early 20, early 2000s, and into the 20 teens. Uh, I was struggling and my wife suggested that you see a psychiatrist. Well, my experience with psychiatrists had never been that positive at that point. So, but I would go anyway. And I just never told them the underlying reasons for my depression, my anger, and um, my uh anxiety level, uh, not being able to sleep, not being able to wake up, all of that stuff. Um, and they were all too ready and happy to prescribe all kinds of medications. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's how I existed until 2015 when I was talking with my therapist and uh, we were going over what meds I was on. And she was appalled yeah. of everything that I was on. And I wound up uh, seeing a psychiatrist, another psychiatrist, because that's, she told me to tell that psychiatrist my underlying condition, which I did. He immediately wanted, uh, Aaron, he wanted to send me to conversion therapy. Yeah. This is in 2015, a psychiatrist in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, wanted to send me to conversion therapy. Can you uh, um, can you explain what that is for those that maybe are, are unfamiliar with that sure. term? I would go someplace where they would work with me to help me overcome this and uh, become the man that I was supposed to be. Even though you've been feeling this way for 66 years at the time? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Just to clarify. And it doesn't work. It's bullshit. <laughs> It just doesn't work. Um, it's been uh, medically shown to not work as well. And they've tried it with people who were gay and any other kinds of conditions as well. It just doesn't work. So she said, you're not going to see him again. And she referred me to a psychiatrist that she used to work with. Uh, when she was doing uh, clinical work at uh, Princeton Hospital in the uh, wards. And he was now in private practice, so I started seeing him. First thing he said to me was, Wendy, you're on estrogen. You're starting your transition. You don't need all these meds anymore. And he took me off of, uh, quite a few of them and then started phasing me off the rest. Aaron, the skies opened up. I started to feel wonderful. And he was right. Having the hormone therapy and finally being open and being allowed to actually be me mm -hmm. just made all the difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, when who you intrinsically feel like you are 
is at odds with who you have to present in the real world, of course you're going to be anxious and depressed and sad, right? So when you speak to someone, the any capable psychologist or psychiatrist is always should always always no matter what the thing that is happening should always be trying to understand the root cause, right? Right. Because it's not always a psychological issue. Yours really wasn't. It was a, it was that I have to be this person, but I've been feeling like this person for 60 years. When right. will someone just tell me that it's okay so I can give myself permission to go out and be the person that I've always known it to be, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, men who have, um, let's say, psychological issues, it's really because they don't have any friends and they don't have a job that they care about. That's obviously going right. to cause me to be depressed, but mm-hmm. me taking antidepressants will not make me better. Me having to go out into the world and make friends and become a better man and be more Mm -hmm. kind and competent, those things are gonna help me, actionable steps. Now, that's not to demonize uh, medication because it does work for some people uh, in certain circumstances, but that has to be Mm -hmm. uh, a step down the line that you take. Like you've, you've exhausted all these other resources, you've done these things, you've had the real open, honest, vulnerable conversation, and now let's get you on the right dose of medication to allow you to be the best version of yourself. I agree with that. Yeah. My sister was on medication that really helped her extend her life. Um, mm-hmm. But your situation, so someone just needed to to tell you that it's okay for you to be Wendy. You know, right. uh, as simple as that. Uh, but it seems harder, you know, than, yeah. So anyways, keep going. Yeah, the um, in 2012, that was when the medical community changed instead of considering someone like myself to have a psychological condition that was not treatable and not curable, it now became a condition that you're born with and it's treatable by hormones, uh, therapy and surgeries. So once I started the hormone therapy, that was when my wife um, decided we were getting divorced because mm. I was going to, in her words, develop breasts and Lord knows what else I was going to do. And you were, she blossom- you were blossoming. Yeah. And she blossoming. wasn't a lesbian and uh, we weren't going to stay together. And I got that. That that was one of the things that I came to the realization that was going to be a byproduct of this. We were going to get divorced. Um, I, it was an amical uh, split. Um, she's been very supportive and everything throughout the whole process. She's had her own grieving and disappointment and all of that. Uh, she said to me at one time, my first husband left me for another woman. My second husband left me to become a woman. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, life moves on. Life is, life is all about possibilities and it's all about change. And I am all about learning to embrace change. And that's what I try to help other people do is embrace changes in their lives and just go forward. I uh, moved into a wonderful community in uh, Pennsylvania called New Hope, a large LGBT community, uh, predominantly gay. And I thought, oh, wow. 
they're all going to totally get me. <laughs> but what I found out was that, yeah, they were very, you know, open and all of that, but they really didn't understand what my life was all about. Um, and to be honest, I didn't fully understand or appreciate theirs. So what I did was I started initiating conversations. If anyone talked to me about what it's like to be born like this and what it's like to live for, I lived for 67 years as a guy knowing fully well that's not what I was. I was very open with everybody. We would talk about the fact of, you know, you know, there's, we all go through shame, fear, guilt, uh, do everything in our power to uh, fit in, to be what society expects of us and fit into social norms. And at some point you just give up. Uh, you accept, you find self-acceptance, self-awareness, and actually begin to develop some self-love. And as with the guys that I was talking with about this, especially the ones who were married with families like I was, you get to a point where you're, you're done and you go and you start living your authentic life, whatever your sexual orientation is, and whatever your gender identity is. And the only difference between them and me was they became G's and I became a T. And that was it. And we actually had more in common than not. Of course. And it was fun. I had a wonderful time talking with people. That's the first. In my previous life, Aaron, I was not social. Hmm. Why not? It, I had a secret to hide and it mm. was too hard. You didn't want, you didn't want to have uh, to tell anyone. Yeah. My, my wife would throw a, uh, a party for the family and would invite in friends, you know, in the holidays and all of that. I'd put in an appearance for about 20 minutes and disappear. Hmm. And just stay in my space in the house by myself. Um, and it was just too difficult. So actually, uh, once I started living as myself, I became very social. I'm very social with people. I go out. Uh, and it's been fun. Hmm. I got to a point, too, where I decided, well, I could help other people with this. Yeah. And especially, I realized that I still felt like an imposter because I still had my male anatomy. Never liked it. <laughs> Didn't want it. <laughs> Needed that corrected. <laughs> I had surgery with Dr. Blue Bond, uh, Dr. Rachel Blue Bond at NYU Medical Center in August of 2017. Hmm. 
I was so delighted uh, that day. I ran, literally ran through the hospital doors upstairs at a quarter of six in the morning to the second floor to check in for surgery that day. <laughs> it was great. Uh, of course, I slept most of the day. And uh, one of my friends from Pennsylvania came to visit me, Bob. And uh, that evening, that uh, evening after surgery, and he visited me again on, that was surgery was on a Thursday. He visited me again on a Friday. I had friends who visited me on Saturday. I checked out of the hospital on Tuesday, five days after surgery, and went back to New Hope. And I rested on Wednesday and Thursday. I was walking through town. And I couldn't believe how great I felt. Yeah, yeah I was, was going to say, you know, walking around on Thursday after getting this this surgery, how, how do you feel? What's the weight? Like, do you feel free? Do you feel energized? Oh, do you feel excited? Do you like what's going on there? All of the above, all, all of the above, Aaron. Beautiful. Um, no longer when I got dressed in the morning or went to bed at night, there was nothing there to remind me of my past. Mm and nothing to remind me of how I had been born. Uh, I'm convinced it was by mistake. Um, I've read an article. I don't know the details of this very well at all, but there's a segment of the brain that develops in females that is kind of dormant in males. And it's a very small area of the brain. And... I, that was one of the things that they uh, mentioned that was a possible thing that happens to people like myself. In one degree or another, that area of the brain develops. And so while your brain becomes female, the rest of your body gets the wrong message and goes male. Mm. That's a pot. That's a possibility. Also, the article said that the only way they could test that is during autopsies. <laughs> so I'm not going there yet. <laughs> no, no. Now you're just in your in your prime, living your oh, best yeah. life. Oh, I'm nowhere near done living now. <laughs> no. Now you feel you feel energized now, not repressed, uh -huh. not not shut down. Um, I think one thing so, really important about about your story is the fact that you saw all of these psychiatrists and doctors and all of them shut you down and said the wrong things and called you a freak and wanted you to you know do all these things and then you still decided you know around 2014 2015 to see this one therapist i don't remember mm -hmm. her name but she's stephanie. the one stephanie she's the one who who finally saw you for you you know what what was that like finally you know, leading up to all of these moments and you, you walk into another therapist's office, maybe thinking they're going to say the same thing, even though it's 2014, 2015, and, and the world has changed a little bit, but, you know, not everyone, right? Mm -hmm, you know that obviously. for sure. Um, what, what was that like? What was it? Were you feeling like it was going to go well? Do you think this everything was going to lead in this direction? You know, what, what happened there? I wrote emails to a number of uh, psychological clinics 
in Bucks County and in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. I got responses back from a couple and I got a really nice response back from uh, a clinic in uh, Newtown, Pennsylvania. And uh, the person that ran the clinic said uh, she would propose show my letter to the, uh, all the uh, psychologists at their next staff meeting and would get back to me with whoever was interested in working with me. Well, two were interested and Stephanie's uh, picture, her eyes, her profile really connected with me. It resonated. So I was excited for my first uh, therapy session. I walk in. Now, understand, this is the first time that I've been able to talk, Aaron, to a total stranger about how I feel mm. since uh, 1970. When you told your uh, wife? I told, and my wife, but oh, right. in terms of anyone outside that kind of relationship, mm. not, uh, that's a long time. Yes. I poured my guts out mm. during that session. It felt wonderful. And she was very engaging, talked with me. And I'm getting up to leave. I turned to say goodbye. And I see Stephanie sitting there with her, uh, uh, with my folder on her lap. And she says to me, what's your name? And I immediately snapped back Wendy. To my joy, Aaron, she crossed out my male name and wrote Wendy on my file. How long this, had you uh, internally known that your, your name was Wendy? I picked that name in grammar school, probably wow. fifth or sixth grade. Wendy was the most popular girl in class. She wore the nicest clothes. She was really pretty. And I told myself then, if I ever get the opportunity to be me, to become a girl, my name was going to be Wendy. Hmm. And that's how long I carried that. Wow. Uh, by my third therapy session with Stephanie, I, well, my second se session with her, I told her, I want to come next week as Wendy. And she said, this is a perfectly safe environment. You can come any way you wish. And I said to her, well, you know, I'm going to have to start working on uh, boundaries with my wife at this point because I, there's this rule. I can't leave the house. <laughs> so I'm leaving the house as Wendy. And I was right. We argued about it. And there were discussions and everything like that. So, but... All that week before, I used my visioning to envision what it would be like to get in the car, back out of the garage, drive down the street, 
drive five miles to therapy in a dress, heels, a long winter coat because it was uh, early February by that time. Mm-hmm. And I was going to look like any woman going to an office job for the day. And how would I feel walking across the parking lot, uh, walking down the sidewalk, seeing my reflection in the class door? I visioned and meditated on that and thought about that for the entire week leading up to therapy. And when I did it, the experience was actually better. Mm. The real life experience was wonderful. I'm sitting in the waiting room as myself. Stephanie opens the door. I big smile and I walk in. It was just wonderful. And from that point on, every Thursday, I went to therapy as Wendy. And what I started doing was I told her one day, I'm going to stop at Dunkin' Donuts and get coffee. A life test. Mm -hmm. Uh, This... Just Dunkin' Donuts didn't have a drive-through, and drive-through would be cheating, so I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> I was going to go stand in line with other people and get my coffee. The first, uh, I did the same thing. I meditated. I visioned. I uh, challenged all my beliefs that I couldn't do this. Uh, shifted my energy to support myself doing this. The first week I get there to do it, I couldn't get out of the car. Aaron, I couldn't even open the door. I sat there for five minutes trying to open the door. I couldn't do it. What was holding you back? Just sheer terror. That someone was what, going to judge you, look Uh, at you, find out? Yep. So I drove to therapy. I walked in. I sat down. I looked at Steph and I said, I failed. No, you didn't. She looked at me and she goes, no, you didn't. Mm -hmm. You'll do it when you're ready. That's right. And I said, yeah, you're right. I will. The following week, I I did it. I walked in with coffee. There were some moments during the... (laughs) Uh, time. Um, uh, men just have a wallet or money stuffed in their pocket. A woman has a purse. <laughs> I carry so a purse having... around. Oh, okay. I have a fanny pack and I, I just like, I hold my stuff way better than shoving everything in my pockets all of the time. <laughs> oh yeah, it does. <laughs> yes, yeah, way more convenient. So yeah, I like a good purse. Anyway, sorry not to interrupt. No, that's okay. I, 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 I got you, I've gotten used to purses. I like them. Yeah. But anyway, uh, for the same reason Jesus said. <laughs> but uh, so I navigated opening my purse, getting the change, navigated with the coffee and all of that. It was okay. And I looked around. And nobody was bothering with me. Not even the two local policemen that came in and stood in line behind me, which in, initially triggered me because 
back in New York State in the 1970s, I would have been arrested and fined and put in jail for appearing in public as a female when assigned male at birth. Mm. It was against the law in New York State, even in New York City. So, uh, but that was no longer the case. I'm in Pennsylvania. There's no problem, you know. And of course, like everywhere else, everybody has their own thing going on. They weren't paying any attention to me. And everything was fine. So for the rest of the time that I was seeing Steph, uh, before I moved out of the house and moved to my own apartment, uh, every week on my way to therapy and on my way home, I would give myself life tests, go out and do something, be in public, be seen. And it just works. Yeah. And after after I had surgery in 2017, that's when I decided I really enjoy helping other people with this. Yes. And it's evolved to where I help people with, you know, going through significant life changes. Because while changing my gender and presentation and my sex is a rather profound life change... <laughs> Everybody goes through life changes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, to, to stop you right there before we get further into your, what you're doing as a coach, um, I want to mention how, you know, powerful it is to have that one person in your life who actually does see you. And for you, it was, it was, you know, Stephanie, um, Mm -hmm. but you know, people think, um, you know, everyone has to see them as they are. And and that's not really going to happen. People have, like you're saying, a lot of stuff going on. Their perspectives are, are different. Their views are different. The things they're thinking about are different. But if you, if you come across that one person, and if you can be that one person for someone, the, <laughs> the impacts are profound. I, there was a stat from, from the Trevor project that I, I, I don't know if I'm saying this a hundred percent right, but I think the stat was that if you have one person in your life who accepts you, you are 35% less likely to even attempt suicide. And if that number and stat doesn't stick out to you as you wanting to be that someone, um, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I don't know what else would encourage you. Like an an acceptance doesn't mean full understanding, um, because people are complicated in every way. Uh, Mm -hmm. acceptance means just looking at the person and seeing them as a full human being, like you're a person and I love and I cherish you. And as we get to know each other better and this version of you that's blossoming and becoming, I want to get to know that version and someone receiving that and feeling seen like their life Mm -hmm. can be, you know, profoundly impacted in the most positive direction. Um, Mm -hmm. because a lot of what they're receiving is the opposite of that. They're receiving, you need to do this. You have to, should do this. This is how you fit in. Yada, 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 yada. And so I just wanted to point that out as a really important part of your story and why probably you're so, um, 
That's why you transitioned into being a coach and a mentor because you want right. to you want to be able to be that person for everyone that you oh, come in absolutely. contact with. So go ahead. And, sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, Stephanie was the very first person in my life to ever accept me mm. for who I am. Unconditionally, in our very first session, that was so powerful. About two years later, uh, after my surgery, I said to her, whenever I stop seeing you professionally, can we be friends? <laughs> and she said, oh, absolutely. Beautiful. Are you guys friends now? Uh, I stopped seeing her after five years. She told me after three years that I she didn't feel I needed therapy anymore. And I said, no, I just want to check in periodically. And after five years, I said, you know, I'm going to stop now. And can we be friends? And she said, well, let's give it a give it some time just to make sure you don't need me professionally. And yes, we're friends now. Magical. And I called her up uh, uh, last July. Uh, I moved from Pennsylvania and I called her up from the hotel I was staying in at the time while I was waiting for my new apartment. And I reminded her because it was really resonating with me that night that she was the first person to ever accept me. That's how powerful that is. You're right. Mm, yeah. And I didn't expect, I don't ever expect anyone to understand because most people would never question their gender. Right. And that's why I, my message to parents of transgender children is believe them. That's not something some little boy or little girl or teenage boy or teenage girl is going to make up. It is so profoundly different from anything that society accepts. Yeah. So if because they also, nerve, also if that, if that parent leads with acceptance, their, their child is more likely to be honest about what really they're feeling, like what's exactly. going on you know, and what's happening, then you can get real answers and you can do, then you can take the best course of action possible for this little human being that you're right. taking care of. If you lead with uh, brushing it off or saying that it doesn't matter or snap out of it, you're never going to get an actual honest thing from your child about what might be happening. Um, what's happening in school? Who are their friends? How are they feeling? How long have they been feeling like this? What's going on internally? What's happening externally? You're never going to get those real answers if you're not first leading with this idea of acceptance. Now, again, again, acceptance doesn't mean like accepting everything and just like not questioning anything. It's not that. It's like, where can we actually have a conversation? Because I see exactly. you now as a person, as a real living, breathing human being who matters deeply, and I see that. Now let's talk further. And that creates mm -hmm. deeper relationships with parents, with child, with teachers, with all these things. Like. Um, there, there's a lot happening and there's a lot that's going to happen. There's a lot that's going on in a young person's brain and body. But if we can mm -hmm. first see them, not as these like crazy little imbeciles, but like, <laughs> as just like, of course, like little kids throw temper tantrums and all that stuff. It's part of the deal, right. but we can still accept them and accept the mm -hmm. words they're saying because they're coming from somewhere. They're not just like, these, exactly. whatever. Right. So we see them. Okay. Now let's have a conversation. What's our next course of action? What can we do about this? 
How can we, you know, all of that stuff. And so I think that's an important step. I think that's step number one. And then after that is, is sort of a case by case, uh, child by child, person by person basis. Um, but if that can be step number one, we, we can see people and, and value them as the, you know, innate divine mm -hmm. human beings that they are. And I think that's very right. important. Absolutely true. Yeah. And, oh, I've, I've, I've come to the realization that um, life is nothing but changes, mm, yeah. and 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 it's also about possibilities. And our beliefs will block or mask possibilities that are open to us. So how we how we think, how we believe, affects what possibilities and changes we can accept and go through and what we can achieve as well. Right. Yeah. So then um, I cut you off on this before, but now to, to circle back to it, um, you became a transition mentor. What, what is, what does that mean? How did you come up with that sort of title? Um, and how's it going now? Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's, um, um, it's something that we need help with. Uh, you have uh, this, you're, you're facing some profound life change and everything in, in your mind is screaming out, I can't do this. The first question is, why can't you? I've I, what I have learned through my own experiences is that, and I call it Wendy's eighty percent rule. Yeah, I was going to ask 80, you about the eighty percent rule. So yeah, great. Eighty percent of all life changes begin and are between your ears. Hmm. If you can adjust your mindset to embrace that change that's coming your way, it's going to be so much easier to deal with it. And in fact, you can, well, people that I've helped with transitioning, people that I've helped with other aspects of their lives wind up thriving because they learn tools like, um, um, uh, visioning, meditations, um, things that will help them get through and actually learn to embrace change. Um, I moved someplace this, this summer where I'd never been. Not a no, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I'd never been here as an adult. And and decided, okay, that's change. That's a growth experience. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And that's what I try to help people learn to do. Yeah. It just makes life so much more exciting and so much more fun to be open to change. Yes, absolutely. I mean, because the, the only constant is that things are going to change. So, mm -hmm. uh you know, our first battle is accepting that that's, you know, that's our fate. The same way we want to accept a human being, 
We want to accept that this is our current reality, which 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 ultimately means we have the power to change it moving forward. How can we adjust? How can we regroup? How can we grow? How can we elevate? How can we pivot? All because I accepted the fact that this is my situation. Um, and having a uh, you know a mentor, a guide, uh, you know someone who's been through it all in uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know in your sense, you know someone who's been into the darkest places you can be, uh, you know pulled your way out of it, found someone who could help you. Uh, it's it's amazing. Um, right. So. Personal growth is uh, just wonderful, and it it's a, it's a wonderful experience. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, the human mind wants to keep everything kind of status quo. Yeah. It, it wants to protect us. And changing something means that there's a risk. Mm. And a lot of people become, over, over time through their lives, very set. They get up in the morning, they think the same thoughts, they do the same things. Any deviation to that is a risk. And people tend to become, a lot of people tend to become very risk adverse. And I've found a um, huge benefit personally to letting go of that, to going with a flow to uh, aligning my inner being with where I am and what I'm doing and being present in that moment. Hmm. Yeah. It's a lot easier way to live. Well, there's just a lot more, there's a lot more joy. Oh, absolutely. Know? Because, <laughs> you know, you're at least present for it. You know, your, your feet mm -hmm are on the ground in the present moment and you can you can find those beautiful things that you might have missed you know if if you weren't that way right you can notice uh i don't know the woman or man who opens the door for you and you say thank you that's a joyful moment you know you notice the sunset if you drink coffee in the morning or you whatever right you notice the the family you know going out in the gathering you're like oh that's so beautiful mm -hmm. that's so great you know or whatever like just little things like that that would normally we just like pass by because we're just ultra consumed and we haven't learned how to get into the present moment. You know, mm -hmm. we haven't learned how to use our breath correctly and appropriately. Um, right. And some of the, these are all just skills. Like, you know, you and I learned how to be coaches and we learned it how everyone learned how to read and write and all of these things. All of these mm -hmm. other things are, are skills and practices too that, you know, that anyone can acquire. I think that's the beauty about, you know, going on a uh, growth journey that involves healing and growing all at once. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I've made some wonderful friends where I am now. And I'm having a great time. This is, everything is just keeps going nicely. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I have, I have one final question to ask you. Sure. To, to wrap up this beautiful conversation. And uh, I have to lead with this because I stole this question from my favorite podcaster, Tim Ferriss. So I cannot take credit for this question. Uh, I say that on every episode. So eventually he'll listen and he'll see that I talked about him for like 300 straight episodes. But, <laughs> uh, anyways, um, if you, Wendy, were going to put up a billboard and millions of people were going to see that billboard every single day, what would you put on it? Oh, God. 
put you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, embrace change and just do it. Beautiful. All on one side or one on the back, one on the front? Could be either way. Yeah, I think so too. Yep. <clears throat> um, just do it was my mantra all the way through my first two or three years of that was the other thing that I discovered through this is every experience that I had during my first couple of years was brand new mm. because I was a brand new person. Ah, novelty is very fun. Yeah. And I sometimes get asked the question, when do you know when this is over? And I said, it never ends. It only ends when you die. Huh. Because you're constantly changing. Yeah. And constantly growing. Beautiful. Um, if people want more of you, Wendy, where should they go? Uh, probably the easiest way to connect with me is Wendy Cole, gtm.net. That's my website. Slash Great. connect. Perfect. Link in the show notes below. If you more uh, want more of Wendy, excuse me. She's also appeared on um, other podcasts, and uh, you can listen to those as well. And I have an inkling that Wendy might also be starting her own, so you can hear a bunch more of her uh, maybe very, very, very soon. I just started also working on a book. Well, there we go. And I expect it to come out uh, probably at least be in the publisher by the first half of next year. Fantastic. We'll bring you on again so we can uh, hype up that book. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you, Aaron. It's You're been welcome. wonderful. Thank you, guys. Cheers. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to that incredible episode with Wendy Cole. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you could potentially implement into your life starting right now? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. By becoming a supporter through Patreon, you are directly supporting me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit. You are loved. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.